What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan. The retail giant's role during the COVID crisis. It was interesting being in stores and watching our sales online and watching America kind of move together at times. And the role of his fellow corporate leaders. No one in this country wanted this to happen. We just need to work together to try and create a safe environment. The world's biggest retailer and one of America's biggest employers is hoping to support its communities. When I think about what the the future looks like, um, I do think about it locally first. We wanted to make sure that the associates that needed to stay home had the ability to go on leave. We moved quickly to start creating this expedited hiring process. How Walmart is supplying Americans with those need-to-haves as well as the nice-to-haves. You got to go on walmart.com and and check it out. It's Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Today on the podcast, our exclusive conversation with Walmart president and CEO, Doug McMillan, the head of the biggest brick-and-mortar retailer in the world and the employer for one and a half million Americans, McMillan is uniquely positioned, running an essential business. Walmart's 4,500-plus stores in the U.S. have remained open during the coronavirus shutdown. The company has hired more than 200,000 new associates. And a lot of you are shopping online. Not quite four years after Walmart purchased online retailer Jet.com for $3.3 billion to boost its digital footprint, it's phasing out the brand in favor of the mothership Walmart.com, and their online sales were up 74% last quarter. McMillan is also the chairman as of the beginning of this year of the Business Roundtable, a group of 200 CEOs from America's largest companies. Quite a time for Doug McMillan to be the voice of corporate America. Walmart, uh, latest earnings out yesterday showing Becky, <laughs> Walmart, sorry, I was going to read this story, but you intro it. Go, God. Anyway, go ahead. Joe, thanks. So, As Joe mentioned, those earnings were out yesterday. We all saw that and uh, saw the numbers that, that really showed growth in e-commerce and physical stores. Joining us right now exclusively from Bentonville, Arkansas, is Doug McMillan. Doug, it's great to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Morning, Becky. Morning, Joe and Andrew. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what you're seeing. We, we heard from the company yesterday, saw the earnings that were stronger than anticipated, saw that revenue was up by more than $2 billion than the street had anticipated for the quarter, and, and saw that sales, same-store sales were up by 10%, with digital sales um, up incredibly sharply by about 74%. Uh, it, it's hard for us to kind of go through that and figure out what you're seeing in terms of the consumer. So maybe you can start with that, Doug, because... As the largest retailer in the world, people look to you to try and figure out how things are going here in America. What do you see? Yeah, sure, Becky. First of all, I'd just like to thank our associates. They've done an incredible job through this whole period serving customers. And as you mentioned, we've seen volatility. It was a a tale of different periods of time as we went throughout the quarter. I think everybody saw the the quarter in the U.S. started in, in a relatively routine way, but then quickly moved to this stock up period that was covered, you know, widely, and we sold a lot of paper goods and 
hand sanitizer and cleaning supplies and things like that. And then, and then the food came. Um, the volume was strong. And then we went through a period of time where, as people stayed home, we saw them solving problems as it relates to entertaining themselves and their families and um, educating kids. Different categories took off, puzzles and um, categories and crafts sold at rates that we haven't seen in a really long time. And then towards the end of the quarter, um, we saw a different phase. And I think it was driven by stimulus money in the U.S. more than anything else, where other categories started to take off. And during the period of time, it was interesting being in stores and watching our sales online and watching America kind of move together at times. Um, adult bikes took off and sold out. And in the stores these last few weeks, it's been hard to find an adult bike. So we're trying to get back in stock at this point. We ended up the quarter down in inventory. And so we're in recovery mode right now. Hey, Doug, just in terms of being in recovery mode, that that is something I've heard from a lot of retailers, that they've never seen anything like this in their careers, that, that things are changing not just on a monthly basis, but on a weekly basis and trying to figure out where the consumer is headed next. How much of your time does that eat up? And what, what can you tell and kind of divine just based on what you're seeing right now? Yeah, it, it is a situation where we've got to watch it week to week. And our replenishment teams and merchants are doing a great job of reacting and responding as our store managers. I think, you know, this second quarter started off, as we mentioned yesterday, relatively strong. And it's a continuation of how the quarter ended. And it kind of depends on what's happening in each local community in each state. As you see the country start to reopen, there are different things happening in Georgia, Florida, or in the Northeast, for example, and we've got to respond to what those customers are looking for at that time. It's clear that people have been at home and they look around and they think, you know, I, I want to replace that lamp or I want to replace that, that office desk. And then they started thinking about the outdoors as they got out into the backyard and the front yard and they realized they needed to do some landscaping. So we've certainly seen those categories take off. So Right now, people are starting to think about, in some cases, going back to work, and we've seen those trends show up in the health and beauty aids categories and footwear, where people are starting to think about going back to work, and we want to be there for them as they prepare for that, too. You know, Walmart has always been a company that does well during strong times because you're, you're, you're everywhere. I think there's a Walmart store within 10 miles of 90% of the population. But you've also done very well in, in downturns in the economy because you offer value and offer bargains for people. I, I just wonder if, if you can see, based on the number of unemployed people we have in this country right now, what the consumer is feeling, how strong they feel about things based on the types of purchases that they're making. Are, are these consumers who are worried that they're not going to have a job a few months from now? Before the stimulus money started to flow in the first quarter, we could see private brands, smaller pack sizes, opening price points starting to surge as a percent to total. As the stimulus money started to, to become available to them, that changed and discretionary purchases went up. So, Becky, when I think about what the, the future looks like, um, I do think about it locally first. I think that the U.S. economy is going to be made up of what happens on the ground in each one of these communities and across the states. And we've all got to work together, the private sector, government, um, state, local, federal, to help put all the pieces in place so that we can sustain that. And I think if, if the consumer generally feels like they're going to have a job and access and, and to money and, and some form of security, we'll see them spend it. If they don't, we won't. So the unemployment number's got to be addressed. The thing that's on my mind right now um, more than anything else is small business. I think we all have to work together to make sure that those that need support get it. 
and small business as part of this phase four legislation that's being discussed needs to be addressed. Um, minority communities, lower income communities, they've got to be addressed because we've got to bring every long, everyone along in this in this economy. And I think that'll play out in our business. We'll see the differentiation. And to the extent that we can as a country, we want to make sure that this recovery is lasting and, and includes everyone. So we've learned by being open through this whole process that there are a number of pieces that have got to be put in place to make that possible. I think um, we're a bit of an example of, of how others should be thinking about this. There are operational procedures to adjust. Um, we adjusted our store hours. Um, we, cl we clean at night. We're metering customers into stores. So there's operational things. Then there's this issue around social distancing, and we've taken a number of steps to create distance and protection for our associates and, and for our customers and you know people wearing um, masks and things like that have got to be done as it relates to PPE. So if you have that combination of things and you execute them well, I think we can put the economy back to work while protecting people at the same time. And this is really an and situation. It's not an or situation. And as I watch the news, that's the thing that keeps coming to my mind is we sometimes debate this as if it's one thing or the other, and it's really an and, and we've got to work together to put all those pieces in place, including testing um, in a big way, and then eventually a vaccine so that, so that the economy here can, can thrive again. Do you... Um see this playing out in, in difficult ways in your stores? I mean, we, we, we know that there have been some areas where, where people don't want to wear masks, where employees feel like they have to be the ones who are policing that and, and trying to um, kind of monitor all of those issues, uh, because not everybody thinks that they should, they should be forced to wear a mask when they go into a store. How do you handle that? Yeah, I've been going out during this period, and I've been to North Carolina and Virginia, Texas, Ohio, Nebraska, and of course here in Arkansas. And I've seen customers behave differently as time's gone on. And, and I have seen some regional differences. But generally, customers and our associates are working together. Um, I do see people using the directional arrows in our aisles. I see them creating some distance. Of course, there are exceptions, and we need a partnership with our customers here to get this get this right. But there's a lot more good behavior than, than there is concerning behavior. And I think in time, everybody will figure out, I sure hope that they do, that this is incumbent on all of us to behave in a way that enables um, the economy to respond in a, in a positive way, in a sustainable way, so we don't end up taking two, step for, two steps forward, one step back, and then another step forward, that kind of volatility you know, uh, probably will happen to some extent, but it's not ideal. Hey, Doug, um, first of all, let me just commend you once again for everything that your company has done and, and what all your employees are doing. Uh, every experience I've had there, I, I feel like I have to, to thank all of the people uh, who are on your front line. Uh, but I do have a, what may be a tough question for you, and it's really a public policy question to some degree. There are a lot of small business owners out there, and maybe if you put even your, your business roundtable hat on on this, who say we've effectively been put out of business by the government. And in fact, Walmart has been to some degree a beneficiary of the rules and regulations which have limited our ability to compete. And it's not just that we're out of business now, but we're worried that either we won't be able to get back in business or because Walmart's done so spectacularly that you've now captured some of those customers that may not go back to some of those small businesses which are so needed as we try to rebuild the economy. What do you tell them? Well, I, you know, I think that those of us that stayed open needed to, and, you know, the, the country needed access to food and, 
and essentials. And for those of us that operated during this period of time, um, our associates, as you said, did step up and they are every day coming to work and, and serving others. And we are really proud of them. As it relates to those businesses that had to close, we got to get them open and going. You know, I think in the retail industry, competition is good, and I do not celebrate it when other retailers go away. I think, I think we want more retailers, not fewer. And as it relates to restaurants and other types of small businesses, lodging, travel, we got to light these things back up. So from a BRT point of view, I think working together to make good advice available to government officials so that they can set smart policy to help support those industries that need it. And then more broadly, laying down this support for small business. You know, as I've been traveling around, Andrew, I, you know, I'll, I'll see different businesses along these streets around our stores, some open, some not, some doing pickup, some not. And I wonder how many of these are going to open back up. And I think the majority of them will, but we want as many of them to open back up as possible. And so what the BRT did is it went through each industry, retail, manufacturing, and others, and we laid out plans on how to reopen safely. And I think that's one of the things that we can do to add value because we need to get people going as quickly as we can and do it in a safe manner. And I think that's really important for the country, and that's what we want to see. And Walmart supports a lot of small businesses. You know, we've got a lot of small business members at Sam's Club. Those are really important to us. We want them to come back online. We've been doing things like advertising for small businesses on samsclub.com and with Sam's Club emails to support those small businesses. We serve a lot of small businesses through our marketplace seller business, and that's robust, and hopefully we can help in that way. We're starting to launch a fulfillment service so that we can serve them better. So we do think about the, the platform that Walmart creates for small business and want to help make it robust so that we can get as many of these businesses back up and running as soon as possible. Hey, hey Doug, the, as it happens so often, Washington is in the midst of another great debate about, uh, about what more it should do to, to try and help uh, the country. And the, the liability issue is, is uh, seems like at, it's down, uh, you know, between partisan lines once again. Do you, do you know how that should be handled? How would you like that to be handled when, when someone reopens and, and maybe in their best interest tries to, to keep everyone safe? And we're all just trying to do the right thing here. We want, we want people to work. We want people to get paychecks. And we want people to be safe. But we don't want lawyers just, you know, just lining up while waiting for the, you know, the next J&J talc or whatever it is. How should we do this? Yeah, Joe, I think some level of, of support there is needed, some form of liability protection. Again, particularly for small and medium-sized businesses that may not have all the resources that they need to come back online um, you know, as quickly as some of our larger companies did. So I think that debate should happen and some level of support should be provided. You know, No one in this country wanted this to happen. Um, it's, it's a virus that has spread across every part of the of the country, and we just need to work together to try and create a safe environment for businesses to come back online in every way, and I think some form of liability protection for them is, is a piece of the puzzle. Hey, Doug, um, we spoke with Dan Bartlett uh, about a month and a half ago from your shop just talking about what you guys were doing to try and pull people in and put people to work. I know that Walmart had been going around and hiring people and trying to hire people from some of those industries that had been most hard hit where lots of furloughs have taken place. Um, kind of amazing to hear that you hired 235,000 people in the United States uh, just over the course of the quarter. Uh, Carl Quintanilla did the math on that yesterday. I did some on it, too. And it sounds like that's 2,000 people a day, more than a person a minute. Um, 
How did that go? How has how did you do it, first of all? And how are those associates working out? Yeah, it's been kind of unbelievable, really, how that's happened. And our team that put together a, a, an expedited hiring process de- de- deserves a lot of recognition and appreciation because they, they figured out a way to do it so quickly. You know, in our case, we wanted to make sure that the associates that needed to stay home, they didn't feel well, they had a pre-existing condition, whatever, had the ability to go on leave. So we adjusted our paid time off policy and we put a three-tier leave policy in place so that people would feel comfortable doing that. We also, when the crisis started, just had openings and were, were hiring. And so we moved quickly to start creating this expedited hiring process. And as we did it, we found A lot of people that worked in food service needed work, and they were coming. Um, Some people from the hospitality industry, other retailers. And so it just grew and grew and grew. And as some people took leave because they should and needed to, these folks joined the company and helped get some of this work done to serve the country. And we're grateful for that and appreciative of it. I was in a store the other day where I was talking to an associate that had been with us for more than 25 years. And right next to her was a gentleman that had started just a few weeks ago who had come from another retailer. And they had already formed a relationship and were having a good time serving customers in the toy department. And that was, that was pretty cool to, cool to see. Now, more than half of these associates we've um, hired as temporary. We'll figure out a as time goes on, how many of them stay? You know, our online grocery business, our store pick business has really grown. And so we need help um, picking orders at store level increasingly for general merchandise, not just food, so that we can drive our, our business as it relates to pickup and delivery. And so we're, we're going to need people. And we've hired a lot of great people during this period of time. And, and I expect a lot of them to stay with us. Some of them can go back to their job before if that's what they want to do. And we would have been happy to have helped during this period of time. Hey, Doug, there have been a lot of problems with the supply chain. People still can't find toilet paper on a regular basis, uh, Clorox, Clorox wipes, Lysol, those types of things. We also have heard about problems in the supply chain when it comes to beef and, and, and uh, beef production. What, what other issues do you see in the supply chain, if, if, and, and what kind of um, status would you put on some of those issues at this point? Yeah, we're working to recover in the categories you just mentioned, and I'd like to thank our suppliers for all the work they've done to operate safe facilities and help us recover. There's been a really strong partnership there. But at this point, Becky, there are a lot of different categories that are sold out. I mean, you, I've never seen a, a craft and fabric department sold out like I'm seeing now. I, I mentioned adult bikes earlier. It's hard to find an adult bike. Um, some categories in general merchandise and sporting goods have sold out as people are doing things in their backyard and wanting to move and and uh, you know do things with their kids. So it's it's somewhat of a widespread issue right now um, across the store where we've got in stock opportunities and we're obviously working on that. Doug, I know that Walmart owns most of its own real estate, but but what about some of those shopping centers where you're an anchor tenant in an outdoor shopping center? What, what's been the impact of other stores that haven't been open there? And in places where you pay rent, are you paying full rent? We're paying full rent. Um, We did, on the flip side, actually forgive rents for those that use the space inside of our super centers in the U.S. for April and May. And so, you know, one of the things that went through our mind, Becky, was we are open. Many people are not. Um, Our priorities are, number one, support our frontline associates, give them everything they need. Number two, serve customers. And number three on our list was help others. So we were looking for places, whether it's in payment terms or Um, the lease issue I just described, hiring people where we could help other people during this period of time. We we learned a big lesson during Hurricane Katrina um, Katrina back in 2005 about 
you know, not worrying too much about the short-term P&L and just doing everything you can that you think is right, knowing that in the end that will be rewarded in the appropriate way. And so it's been um, wonderful to see our associates figure out ways to, to help other people. And um, in the case of um, our locations, we, you're right, we do own most of those. And we need those businesses that are surrounding the stores to be strong and come back online. And so I'm hoping that that happens. And it's important that that at each uh, state level, community level, that we do this in, a right way, in the right way so that they can and do so safely. And we've done some things to try and share what we've learned with other people. Our Sam's Club team has invited small business owners into our buildings where we walk them around the steps that we've taken with PPE and with social distancing and other operational changes. And maybe that's one way we can help. Doug, you're, you're a global company, and you saw this pandemic hitting your stores in China. You, you were one of the early voices to say, this is a big deal, and we need to get our arms around this quickly. What have you seen as businesses reopen in, in China, and how, how tricky is that? And are those measures that are being taken in China, can they be replicated here? Do you think it's going to be a similar sort of emergence? Because China does take some pretty drastic measures in terms of tracking its people and not allowing visitors from other nations to come in until they've quarantined for 14 days. So what's the experience you've seen there? Do you expect it to be replicated here? I think it could be replicated to an extent, but each country is unique. The U.S. is different than China and is different than the other markets where we operate. We're in 27 right now, and we do see variants. Different governments, different societies are handling this situation in different ways. In the case of China, you're right. We started to see this really in early January, and um, our team there responded well in similar, you know, a similar way to what you've seen play out here in the U.S. And um, I do think that when you look at all the pieces that need to be put in place, exposure notification here in the U.S. is going to be an important component. Opting in as an American to participate in that I think could be helpful to your local community and to your economy locally and nationally coming back online. So I think as the capability comes online, we need to um, help educate others and help them understand why they would want to do that while also talking about issues like testing and the vaccine so that people can see a future that gives them hope. You know, I'm optimistic about what's going to happen here in the country. I think it's going to be challenging. I think we're going to have to solve a lot of problems. And the BRT experience has been really um, enlightening because the business leaders are working together to solve problems in a way that's actually really cool. Um, we're having weekly phone calls. We've got different teams working on different pieces. And I've seen these CEOs collaborate in an appropriate way to solve the problems, to put the pieces in place together with government to create um, a future for the country that hopefully is better than it would have been otherwise. It's, I certainly think so. So I think that's the way we should approach it, and we should try to learn from China and other countries to, and apply what sh we should given the way that we live here. What's an example of uh, where cooperation between the business roundtable and the government actually led to a, a real problem being solved recently? Well, I think as it relates to PPE, you know, in the beginning there was a real challenge trying to figure out how we were going to approach it. And what ended up happening is the states were sourcing PPE, BRT members were working on it as well. We, we partnered with Salesforce and State Farm and others, and, and Apple, as you know, was participating in that process. We found masks and we helped solve problems and we communicated at state level at times to provide supplies and help people get information. And several governors have been participating on our calls as well, and um, I found them to be really competent and caring and, and good partners as we try to solve these issues. Jet.com, you all announced yesterday, is going away, that brand. Was the acquisition worth it? 
Yeah, absolutely. We would do that all over again. Um, if you look at the trajectory of our business, it changed when we made that acquisition. Um, not only did we uh, pick up Mark Laurie and a great team, we picked up fulfillment centers, a lot of expertise that ended up paying off. And um, what changed is that the Walmart brand really has extended to reach all kinds of people. You know, you'll remember, Becky, you were there when we made the announcement and we talked about Jet playing a role with affluent customers, younger customers, urban customers. And what we found is that Walmart is able to do that. Our brand is stretching in a way that, that's really very exciting. And we've been able to attract brands to Walmart.com. That was the other role that, that I thought Jet was going to play is we were going to need a brand to be able to use to attract some of the brands that did not yet want to be in our stores. And as time has gone on and our website experience has improved and our app's gotten better and we've built these capabilities, we find that, that brands are really comfortable coming to Walmart. And we shared some of the names yesterday, Swell and, and Ray-Ban and Champion. you, you got to go on Walmart.com and, and check it out to find all the others. As, as I may have shared with you before, it's been one of my surprises as we've grown the e-commerce business is just how many brands matter online. You know, I had been doing retail for a long time and thought I had a sense for the brands in this country and what we needed to have, but we have found a ton of important brands beyond what we ever had in the stores um, that we needed to have online. And so Walmart has basically just become the brand where we have the best return on investment for investing a marketing dollar or capital in the brand. And so this is about focus. I'm absolutely thankful for what Mark and the Jet team have brought to uh, to Walmart.com and to our company and would do that all over again. Doug, I want to thank you and your team and associates for what they're doing every day for Americans during this difficult time. And we appreciate your time today. Thank you guys for helping educate us all. Next on Squawk Pod, we told you about Moderna's promising COVID vaccine trial the other day. Now, some uncertainty around the science. There are people who still say in the vaccine community that they're they're hopeful about it, but they just say they want to see much more before they can really make any qualified judgment. On it. And I feel good about it. I attribute it to having three dogs that uh, my immune system's constantly. Oh, my God. What is that? We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Healthcare News Service Stat News spoke to several vaccine experts who are questioning the optimistic response to the Moderna news. They said that Moderna's drug trial results didn't include enough information to draw too many conclusions about how successful its trial really was, and that the release from Moderna was light on actual data. They went through and talked to a bunch of people, and I did read the Stat News piece. There were concerns. We know that it was a very small number of people. It was eight out of eight who they had the final results from. There were 45 people in that study, but eight out of eight had shown that they did develop antibodies, um, antibodies that the, that, uh, the company had, cl- had classified as being the same as somebody who had come back and recovered from it. One of the picking points from these people was that, okay, 
you can have a wide variety of, of antibodies from someone who recovers from this disease, someone who has a very low level or who comes out at the high end of that, and the company didn't clarify on that. The company also didn't say the age of the eight people who had gone through with this. They did say that the 45 people were anywhere from, I think, 18 to 55 years old. If this response was in the younger of those people, then they say it would be less conclusive again because it's really the older people that you have more questions about how that works and the older people that are targeted by this disease. I think there were also questions about the durability of um, the antibodies that had built up, the durability of the response, because this was all taken just two weeks after the second dose of that vaccine had been uh, initiated. So there are a lot of questions about what this means. They say they'd like to see the data. And there are people who still say in the vaccine community that they're, they're hopeful about it, but they just say they want to see much more before they can really make any qualified judgment. Pretty on amazing. The, the immune system between young people and old people, number one, it's like an organ, obviously. You know, it's, it's yeah. white blood cells and, uh, and, and all the, there's, you know, T cells, B cells, uh, macrophages, all these different things. And it's like an organ. And as you get older, all your organs yeah. don't work like they did when you were young. Or if there's anything that, that would compromise your immune. And so many things compromise your ability to fight off infection. So if you did develop uh, antibodies and you're young and in the prime of life and your immune system is like this, you know, it's so sharp, unlike older people, I, I, you can see how that would make a difference. Unlike us. Uh, yeah, huh? Yeah. I feel good. I'm like us. I feel good about it. I've always felt good about it. I, I attribute it to having three dogs that uh, my immune system's constantly, oh, my God, what is that? So it's constantly building <laughs> antibodies to something they drag in from, from somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, Look, and I think it's genetic, reason, it's genetic, whether you have a really yeah, sharp immune system or not. I do, too. Look, I, I will say part of the, the reason for the questions around this are, 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 are things that we talked about yesterday on the program, too. Obviously, we had the CEO of Moderna on on Monday as soon as that news was out and got a chance to talk with him about a couple of the issues. But people have raised questions later about why you would actually put out the release of uh, these early results that uh, had not been finalized for phase one without the rest of it coming through. Why the timing on that? Also, the idea that the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Disease uh, often will come out with, it's partnered with Moderna on this, and often that institute, the government agency, will come out and issue its own press release, or maybe you'll even see Tony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci coming out and talking about it, too. Um, the Institute did not put out its own release on this, and I think is probably waiting to see more data as well. And again, the timing comes off on this. We, we spoke with the CEO of Moderna on Monday morning as this was coming out. He said at the time that um, they were going to, as a result of the study, start putting more money to work to try and make sure that they could ramp up the vaccine very quickly. And I think we have a soundbite from that conversation right here on Squawk Box on Monday morning. We're going to increase our investment in capital equipment, in raw materials, so that we can make as many doses as we can. Where are you getting the money to make these additional investments? So, as you know, uh, Becky, we have a strong balance sheet, uh, $1.7 billion uh, reported at the Q1 earning call, a grant from BADA, $500 million, plus grant from the Gates Foundation and others. So the company is well capitalized. We have also partners. So uh, the company is in a great place to invest aggressively. What he didn't mention at that time was that later that day, the action the company actually took was to say that it was going to be uh, selling additional stock to try and fund that. Selling stock, uh, I think, of around $1.34 billion dollars. 
And that was as the stock rose, I believe, at the end of the day. You saw when we were talking to them, it was up 30 percent. I think at the end of the day, Moderna shares were up by just over 20 percent. Um, so there have been questions raised about that, too. Why put out the timing on this? Now, again, experts in the infectious disease uh, community are not willing to, to, to write this off. They just want to see more data at this point and see um, exactly how effective this um, vaccine actually well, is. Becky, it also matters. Anyway, it, it also matters. You know, it, 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 I don't think it was... Uh, the, the CEO selling his shares, I don't think it was a secondary. No, in, in, no, a, no, no, no. These were well, new shares to be they issued. They conflate that. The crazies, woo, yeah. there's crazies. They're, somehow the Tesla crazies are involved in the Moderna. And I don't know who's crazier, the Tesla bulls or the Tesla bears. It's like, how did I get involved with Tesla? I have no, <laughs> I have nothing to do with Tesla. <laughs> Leave me alone. It's like they're crazy. Uh, anyway, they're involved with, with talking about it. And most of them think, I think that, that the CEO pump and dump and, and sold his shares. And I, I mean, I, 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 it looked like it was for general corporate purposes to build out the vaccine. So that's what the company has said. Moderna has said that these shares would be issued. But look, again, it, 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 timing is interesting. And that's why people are coming back and asking questions. Right. Obviously, we're going to wait and get the rest of this data just, and see what that has to show. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And that's the podcast for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Coca-Cola CEO James Quincy. We're going to have to recognize that coming after this virus crisis will be the economic impact and hangover of, of the lockdown. And there'll be a much greater focus by consumers on affordability um, and getting the price points lower. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.